And good morning, everyone. Happy Saturday to you. This is Education, Leadership, and Beyond, Surviving and Thriving. My name is Andrew Morata, and I am the principal at Port Jervis High School, and this is my radio program. We are on Country 107.7 WDLC. 106.9 WYNY and Wall Radio. And yes, that was Jump by Van Halen, some classic rock and roll this morning. And uh, today's tunes were selected by my guest. He'll be on in the next segment. That's my assistant principal, Tom Ricard. Tom's been at Port Jervis for the last year working with us as assistant principal. And before that, he was at Minnesink School District as a math teacher for 14 years. So we'll be talking to Tom uh, in a moment. Um, and we're going to get started with today's show. I'm here with Gavin Burt in the studio. Gavin, good morning to you. Good morning. How are things going here in the studio, okay? Yes, busy as always, but that's fine with me. Gavin, uh, we're going to get going on our initial concept here, and I'm going to talk about PRIDE. Uh, it's an acronym, and I'm going to go through some words here, but the I in PRIDE is, is going to be imitation, and I'm going to talk about imitating successful people. Who's someone in your life, Gavin, that you've imitated, whether it's in the radio world or in your, in your personal life? Who's someone uh, that you've imitated and watched their success and, and have adopted as your own? Probably my predecessor in this job, Reg Osterhout. Well, let me back up. There are going to be two people. One is radio-related. One is not radio-related. Reg Osterhout was my predecessor as operations manager, and I would say he was probably uh, my greatest mentor, certainly in this business. I just learned a lot of things from him, and I think a lot of good qualities. He had a very humble way about him, but he was also a very hard worker, and these are traits that I've tried to follow in a non-radio sense, and my apologies to anyone in the audience who doesn't care for him. In the nation, my other mentor is President Trump because uh, whenever things get bad at work, he taught me the power of a comeback. So there you go. He's going political here on education, leadership, and beyond. And uh, no, but thank you for uh, for sharing, uh, Gavin. And, uh, you know, we've all had mentors. And, and again, whether some people like, they don't like, uh, they were mentors for you and, and helped you along. But let's get right into the concept uh, and, and we'll get into that. And, and the word is pride. Certainly working at Port Jervis, that is a, a motto and a slogan we've used in the district, Port Pride, but the acronym Pride, and if you're home having your coffee Saturday morning here, we're in the last Saturday of July, got August coming in front of us, jot some of these notes down, you know, put it in your wheelhouse, put it into something uh, for your mindset, but let's start with the P, have a positive mental attitude. The show is about leadership, the show is about life. P in pride, positive mental attitude. The second is repetition. Repeat, repeat, repeat. And uh, you want to be good at something. You want to develop a talent. You know, people think, oh, you know, so-and-so is a great baseball player. or So-and-so, you know, Howard Stern's a great radio personality. He is, but they've put a lot of time in. And uh, a quick story about repetition a couple of years ago, I read the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Now, Mr. Gladwell has a series of books about being successful and different tips you could do in your life and different things. And in that book, he talks about the concept of 10,000 hours and putting the time in to become better at something. And he tells about Bill Gates sneaking out of his house as a, as a youngster, as an eighth grader. And going to the local company that had a computer and he they allowed him to program overnight. And he used to sneak out of his house. 
they talked, he talked about the Beatles. And I'm going to read a quote from the book here. But he talked about the Beatles when they were just starting out in the early 60s. The time they had put in in Germany, their manager wanted to get them some airtime, get them some stage time, and they were a young band just getting started. So let me read here from the book. The Beatles ended up traveling to Hamburg, Germany, five times between 1960 and the end of 1962. On their first trip, they played 106 nights or five, uh, of five or more hours a night, sometimes up to eight hours. The uh, nightclub was a 24-hour nightclub. Their second trip, they played 92 times. Their third trip, 48 times for a total of 172 hours on stage. Their last Hamburg stints in November and December 1962, another 90 hours of performing. All told, they performed 270 nights in just over a year. By the time they had their first burst of success in 1964, they had performed live an estimated 1,200 times which is extraordinary. Most bands today don't perform 1,200 times in their entire career. The Hamburg Crucible is what has set the Beatles apart. So the Beatles, as they were starting, had so much repetition and so much time they had put in. It was incredible. So this is show number eight for me here on Education, Leadership, and Beyond. And I hope each week, if you're tuning in, the show is getting better and better and I'm really enjoying it, but I have a long way to go to 1,200, so we're on show number eight. We're talking about pride today. The third one, as I mentioned with Gavin earlier, is imitation. Imitate successful people and their traits. Success leaves clues. Successful people leave clues. You know, you follow somebody that, uh, that you like their style, you like what they're doing, they're an expert in your field, take what they're doing and, and make it your own. Try to do the things that they do. Who is the mentor in your life? Who is someone that you're looking up to? Who that is someone that you want to be like? Call that person. Study that person. Watch that person and imitate them. And certainly things that they're doing that you want to do, you just got to get out there and do it. So imitation is the, uh, the third letter there in pride. D is next, determination. You keep that with you, determination. If you have a determination to get something done, you're going to stick with it. And last is enthusiasm. You know, my quote at the end of the program is going to be by Ralph Waldo Emerson, who wrote, nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. You know, certainly uh, me writing this book that I have coming out in September, The Principle, Surviving and Thriving, was the brainchild for this, this radio program and a lot of the concepts that I'm talking about on the air came from the book. And this is one of them. The, this pride acronym is one of them, but also one of the points in the book is as a principal and as a leader to be the most enthusiastic person in the building. And that could go in any walk of life, any uh, business that you're running with your family, having energy, having positive enthusiasm, having the P in pride, positive mental attitude is going to make you stand out, is going to make you rise above. And, and certainly people are going to be attracted to that. So get your pencil, get your coffee, pride, positive mental attitude is for P. Repetition for R, repeat, repeat, repeat. 10,000 hours to be successful. I, imitate, imitate successful people. D for determination and E for enthusiasm. My next uh, point for today's show is... Where are you in your in your tech, technical journey and with technology today? My guest on the program, we're going to get meet him in the next segment is Tom Ricard, 
And one of the things we liked about meeting Mr. Ricard is he is very tech savvy. He is current with uh, technology and he brought a lot of things to the table that has made me a better principal and a better leader. And then one of them is technology. We're in the year 2017 and the days of people saying, I'm not good at computers are over. You know, people might not be good at computers and people might not be good at technology because they're not doing it. And it is time to start. Wherever you are, you're listening. You might be an expert. You might be someone who doesn't even own a computer. But my recommendation, my concept for today is is become tech savvy. Uh, learn these gadgets. Learn what's out there between iPhones and iPads and the tablets and all the different laptops that are out there, all the different programs that are out there. Get going with it. And some people, you know, I want training. I, I don't know how to do it. I'm not comfortable. You just have to start. You just have to start doing it. Uh, one of the concepts, again, we're going to talk with Mr. Ricard that he brought to the table at work is using Google. I was kind of stuck between Word, using Microsoft Word and, and Google, and I had kind of flirted with Google a little bit. But uh, he said to me in one of his first couple of days on the job, he said, Mr. Murata, if, if you're going to do it, you got to just do it. And you got to break away from Word and, and just start using Google. And we use Google for so many things now on the job, and that drive came from Tom Ricard. So that's my uh, my second concept for today here on Education, Leadership, and Beyond, Surviving and Thriving. Uh, we're going to come up against a commercial break. We are on Country 107.7 WDLC, 106.9 WYNY, and Wall Radio. Email in the show at andrew at com and hit me up on Twitter at andrewmarada21. We'll be right back with our guest, Tom Ricard. Welcome back to the show, everybody. This is Education, Leadership, and Beyond, and that is hard to interrupt a Bruce Springsteen song like that. My goodness. Uh, we do want to welcome our guest to today's show, Mr. Tom Ricard. He is my assistant principal at Port Jervis. He's been with us one year. And uh, Tom, thanks for coming on the show. Welcome to Education, Leadership, and Beyond. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, happy to be here. It's a great endeavor you started. I appreciate it. I hope the whole Port Jervis community appreciates it. You're bringing some uh, great content to the local listeners. You know, it, it is cool. This is show number uh, eight. I know you're going to have a few listeners today. You know, not only do you know everybody in Orange County, New York, and the surrounding Pennsylvania areas, et cetera, but you know, I, I assume your family's listening, so we want to give a shout-out to your wife, Amy, and all of those little uh, children of yours, Thomas, Nicholas, Catherine and Mary, do you have them listening uh, this morning? They're going to be listening. I have them uh, dialed in. <laughs> great, great. Tom, let's uh, let's get right started. You know, we, we met a year ago when we interviewed, and we put a lot of time and effort into that interview process. Tell me, what, what made you decide that you wanted to come to Port Jervis as an assistant principal, step out of the classroom? This is your first administrative role. Step out of the classroom, and how did you know it was going to be the right fit? When I was kicking around the idea of making the move to administration, I was very happy teaching. Uh, Minisync is a 
I went to high school there. I, I graduated from there. I, I enjoyed it. I was very happy at Minisync. So when I thought about it, it had to be the right fit. I wasn't going to leave for any job. Uh, so when I saw the posting for the assistant principal, I called John Bell. Dr. Bell, he's a DV superintendent. I think you had him on the show. We did have Dr. Bell on the show for sure. And I called him because he was my principal for a couple of years at Minisync. Uh, so he's a, he's, a, he's a, you know, really value his opinion. So I called him and Dr. Bell just raved about the Port Jervis school system. He said, the kids are great. They're blue collar. They work hard. The staff is incredible. So that was when I decided, all right, I'm going all in on this. And you certainly went all in on the interview and you, you did a fantastic job, um, What's been the biggest change from, from leaving the classroom to, to being an administrator, being an assistant principal? When you're in the classroom, it's, you feel like it's your classroom, and that's all you have to worry about. So you have your 120 kids you have to teach every day. You control the, the discipline in your room. You control the culture. You control the atmosphere. So you're worried about 120 kids, where now I'm, I'm worried about 790 kids. Uh, so I have to worry about the whole school and make sure everything is, is going well and uh, so that's the biggest difference for me. Now it's just more more students to lead and also the faculty piece to, to, to be a leader to the faculty as well. And what's one of the most challenging aspects of that job, Mr. Ricardo? You know, that's a, it's a tough job being the assistant principal. You know, what's one of the most challenging uh, parts for you? The, the biggest challenge is to balance your time. So when, when I first started, you gave me some great advice. You can't get bogged down in discipline because everyone knows out there that the assistant principal is, is discipline heavy. So when I, when I started working and you get in there, you get your hands dirty and you're disciplined all day. And you came into me and you said, you can't get bogged down in this. You got to go out. You have to experience the positive things in the school. You have to go listen to the chorus. You have to go out to the athletic fields. You have to go into classrooms. And, and that's what I did. But it's a very hard balance because you don't want to you want to make everybody happy and you want to attend to everything, but you can't. You have to prioritize and you have to make sure that you balance it. So when do you get that the, those items done? When do you handle that discipline? Because it's got to get done. When do you do that? It does have to get done. Uh, I like to get in early in the morning. So I, I look at the docket and I, I see who's on my list of students that have to be seen. So I organize myself before anyone gets in the building. And then I just, I have to plan it. You have to be a planner. It's one thing I learned from coaching. Uh, you have to plan Mr. Ricard, you mentioned about going into classrooms, and I know you were a great teacher. Your recommendations came to us, and you're still teaching on the college level. But when you walk into a classroom, you know, what do you see as great teaching? What are things that you look for as great teaching? I mean, we have some outstanding instructors in Port Jervis, uh, some great veteran teachers, uh, and some young people as well. What are things that you look for in the classroom and, and that you identify as great teaching? Well, first off, I'm impressed with the faculty. Uh, our teachers are great they work extremely hard. They, they do have the students' best interest at heart. Uh, when I, the two main things I, I look for when I go into the classroom is engagement. So that's the first thing. So student engagement, is it a worthwhile lesson? Do the, are the kids learning something? Are they engaged? Are they focused? Are they paying attention? Are they using technology? So the engagement piece is really important. Because if you don't engage the kids, then they're going to turn you off. So that's the first thing. And, and the other thing is, I kind of look for classroom management. I want to see how the teacher is handling the classroom, um, what kind of strategies they use uh, to keep the kids focused on that engagement. So those are, those are two big uh, areas. Okay. Yeah, Mr. Ricard, you mentioned the faculty, and, and again, they are a great group of professionals, and we are blessed to, to work with such a group. You know, a quick story. 
maybe at the end of my faculty meetings there might be a couple claps, but usually it's kind of business and people go back to back to to school. But one of your the first faculty meetings, you know, you you thanked everybody for for allowing you to be there and accepting you, and you know it was in the fall of last year, and and you got a standing ovation. People stood up and clapping, and I said, man, I I knew we had the right guy, but. After that, I said, "Wow, he he really earned the staff's respect very quickly." You know, and I don't want you to brag on the show, but I, I want you to say, "Hey, what are some of the things that you that you did to earn the respect of the staff so so quickly?" The first thing is you can't forget where you came from. So I'm fresh out of the classroom, so I understand the teachers their challenges. So that's the first thing. I think I understand. I didn't forget where I came from, and I think you can't fake it. Uh, so respect is not given. Uh, it's not something that you just have, you have to earn it. So I think by just being myself and being true to myself and trying to reach out and build relationships with the faculty, I think it goes a long way. Stopping by a classroom saying, hello, do you need anything? What can I do to help? Um, and just being an, an honest, straightforward, true to myself person, I think that comes across. And uh, one of the concepts in the book is, uh, is one of the things that we do at school. It's called the walk and talk. And that's that second interview. Uh, you know, we had a pool of almost 15, 16 people we interviewed for your job and over 100-plus candidates. Uh, but we brought you back for that second interview, the walk and talk, and we really saw that in you, that you have a great personality and you're able to communicate with people. We certainly see that. Is that something you work on or is it just something that comes naturally to you? I don't. It's not something I've worked on, uh, but you need to you need to build relationships in every facet. Your marriage, you have to build that relationship with your family. You have to build in coaching. If you don't build relationships in coaching, you're not going to win many games. And I think that my whole life, I've been around my dad, who who was the best at building relationships. And he, I kind of watched him. And you talked about imitating people. Why well, imitated him? And I, I saw how he. Uh, was true to himself and he you know he had the integrity the credibility and the honesty um, and I try to imitate that where I just follow him and I think it became natural uh, to me because I value those long-term relationships and I know a lot of people listening out there knew your dad and your family and we're going to talk about your dad in the next segment here uh, I was lucky enough to referee some of his games as when he was coaching as well when you you were coaching and you know, he was a great man to imitate, but we're going to talk about your dad in the next segment. But I want to talk, uh, again, more about you and, and the things you're doing as assistant principal. You know, Mr. Ricard, what, what's your style? You know, we, we tell the funny story. I asked the student at dismissal, you and I were standing there, and uh, I asked the student that we like, and I said, hey, how's Mr. Ricard doing? He's here. Yeah, tell me how he's doing. And, and we had a chuckle. He said, well, he looks kind of mean, and he acts like he knows what he's doing. You know, what, tell our, our listening audience, what's your style as an assistant principal? I think if you work too hard to, to try to cultivate a style, I, I don't think it works. You have to do who you are. So I, I was listening to a podcast, uh, Bill George is this, is this fellow's name. He, he, he worked as CEO of Honeywell, and Bill George also writes for the Harvard Business uh, Review. And he talks about being an authentic leader. Instead of being charisma and style, all, all style and charisma, you have to be authentic. And I listened to this podcast, it was about 17 minutes long, and I said, well, I guess that's my style. Uh, being authentic, coming across as honest, being genuine, being willing to help, uh, leading from the heart, but also with the head. So I, th so 
I guess I would call myself an authentic leader. I try to be straightforward, be myself, but also be compassionate um, towards the students and just come from a point of view of this is who I am and I'm sticking to that. And I would agree with that, Mr. Ricard. I, I jotted down a couple other notes here. I have the word authentic written in. I have the word master educator. You know, you you were a great teacher and, and people could tell very early you know what you're doing in the field of education. Uh, and the last thing I, I have written down here is poise. You get a lot of things thrown at you, assistant principal, uh, in, your, in your role, and sometimes angry students, sometimes angry teachers, sometimes, and you have great poise. Where would you say you learned the, the skill of having poise from? That's something that you have to learn. I didn't always have poise. I know you officiated a few of our games as when I was the assistant coach and the head coach, and I didn't always have poise. Um, I learned that from my father. I, I don't want to keep going back to the same well all the time. Yeah, he's uh, the man. You could go to that well forever. But he always had poise. He never overreacted, and I try to do that. I don't, I don't like to overreact. It doesn't help the situation. It doesn't help any situation when you overreact and you make emotional decisions. So you have to take a step back, take a deep breath, think about it, and, and have a rational response to it. When I first started teaching, I worked in the Bronx, a Sacred Heart school on 169th Street and Nelson Avenue. Had hardly any training, and I didn't have so much poise when I was 22 years old. There was an incident where you know, I had a, a tough time with the class, and, and the, a boy kept throwing books out the window. Now we're in the middle of the Bronx where people are walking down the street. And books, was, books are flying books out Books are at the window. So that says a lot about my classroom management. But <laughs> uh, So I said, hey, you stop throwing books out the window. He just kept throwing books out the window. So I actually grabbed him and I put him up against the window and said, you throw one more book out when I'm throwing you out the window. <laughs> so I'm not sure how much poise I had that day. Uh, so I have grown since then. Uh, but you, you learn it over the years. You know, coaching basketball, you're, you're thrown into situations that are stressful, and that prepared me as well. Uh, another one of, of a man we know, Tom Finan, who was an official. He was a long-time educator at Delaware Valley. He was officiating one of my games, and, and I'm harping on him the whole time. And, and I, I'm, I consider myself a friend of Tom, and, I, and I'm on top of him. And he finally said to me, and I was a young head coach, first-year head coach, he said, Tom, stop talking and coach your team. And that was it. What's my response to that? Okay, Mr. Fine, I'm going to do that. And, and that was a very good lesson for me as a young head coach. Focus on what's important. Don't worry about what you can't control and, and go from there. So I think I've learned it over the years, but coaching and my dad were a huge part of, of that poise. And uh, we're going to pause on that note, Mr. Ricard. We're going we're gonna to take a break here and uh, we're going to talk about your dad and, and your coaching career a little bit when we come back. This is Education, Leadership, and Beyond, Surviving and Thriving. We are on Country 107.7 WDLC, 106.9 WYNY, and Wall Radio. Email in the show, andrew at com. We'll be right back with Tom Ricard. girl and I want to make her mine. And she's watching with those eyes. And she's loving Where the black top ends 
We'd walk to church on Sunday morning, race barefoot back to Johnson's fence. That's where I first saw Mary on that roadside picking blackberries. Welcome back, everybody. Good morning. This is Education, Leadership, and Beyond, Surviving and Thriving. My name is Andrew Murata. I'm very happy to have my good friend and assistant principal on the air with me this morning, Tom Ricard. Tom, very happy with your music selection today. You had a nice, nice mix of their 80s and country. The 80s, although I was graduated in 1990, so I was an 80s child. So, uh, yeah, I, I like all that stuff. I like some country, too, but I'm really 80s at heart. Yeah, when, Gavin's not going to record us singing afterwards. You, you don't want <laughs> that, but uh, enjoying certainly hearing that. Tom, we, we talked a little bit about your father. I knew we would get to, to Coach Paul Ricard, you know, and unfortunately you lost your dad very quickly this year. I know that was very emotional for you and your family. You know, tell me about your father. Tell me about your relationship with your father. Well, I, I tell you a, a great quote that I think, uh, I know you like quotes. Like the quotes. So, uh, and, and we've said this at the high school this year, but uh, from Lou Holtz, he says, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. And I think that was my dad in a nutshell. Um, he just was a, was a guy who never said, why me? Or, or had any, didn't want any sympathy. He was always planning ahead. What next? What do we have to do to get the job done? So he was a great guy. Uh, everyone says that about their dad, but he, uh, he was my mentor. He was my hero. There's not a surprise that I followed in his footsteps in my career, in my life. Um, I'm one of seven children. He was a, uh, he was a strong a man of strong faith with seven children, basketball coach, educator. Um, and it's not a surprise my whole family kind of followed in his footsteps. We, we have six of us that are educators, work at universities, colleges, or high schools. And, and my one brother is the black sheep. He's a, my youngest. He's the, you know, a financial advisor. Uh, but there's no surprise that we wanted to be like that. And, and yeah, educators and, and police, but also leaders. You look at what your, your, your family is doing, an athletic director, a chief of police, teachers, uh, coaching at the Division One level, uh, and yourself a leader now in schools, you know, a lot of leaders. Your father showed you many things. How is it your dad a leader for you and, and your siblings and yourself? What things do you take from your dad in these leadership roles? He, my dad led by example. He was not a gregarious guy. He never wanted credit for anything, but, uh, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. had a quote and said, the character of a man is made when no one's watching and that was my dad. My dad worked as hard in the garden on a Sunday afternoon than he would uh, coaching a basketball game. And that was just his thing. He just he didn't get any credit, high character, of the highest moral character. Um, so he taught me to lead by example. So that's what I try to take every single day, show up to work, work hard, and then people will follow you if you show them that you're authentic. That, you know, people don't follow people for the heck of it. They follow people that they, they want to learn from. So I, I try. I think the, the leading by example is huge. And I got to know your dad a little bit, and uh, he would be proud of you. you. You know, one of the things you talked, we talked earlier about you earning the respect. You, you're at work. You're one of the first people there, and, and people noticed real quickly about that. I mean, the custodians are uh, sometimes beating them to the door there. So uh, that work ethic your dad brought you, you know, brought to you is, is great. In the interview, Mr. Ricard, you know, we both paused when you said it because it, it was a great answer. You know, I like to ask the question, besides your job and your family, what are you most proud of? And you answered without hesitating that my dad is proud of me. Yeah. You know, and yeah. kudos to you yeah. 
for doing those things uh, to, to make your dad proud. Tom, you know, again, you mentioned all the children, your father, you know, you and your wife have been married a long time, your wife Amy, and you're on that, that journey yep. together. And you mentioned your father in the garden. I know you better get home and get in that garden <laughs> yeah. uh, today. I know That's your wife a sore wants point. To, That's yeah, a sore point right now. Get you behind in the garden. But it, it took a while for you and your wife to have children. And talk about those struggles a little bit and, and how that affected uh, you and your family. We were married, well, we'll be married 21 years in August. Uh, we were, from day one, we wanted to have children. So we, we were married and we were open to having a family and we wanted a big family. I, I wanted six kids, seven kids. Um, I, I loved my childhood, always someone to play with. My brother Paul, who was a little bit older than me, he was a great example. I, I have to mention him because he was four years older, but Paul, just like my father, had a great work ethic, always had a job growing up, always worked through high school. So He's another one, and then he, he's a police chief now. But with me and Amy, we struggled. We, we wanted children. We couldn't have children. We were told by the doctors we did everything we could to have kids, and they kept saying, well, it's not nothing wrong with either of you, but we don't know what's going on. So that was a struggle. It, you know, you want a big family. So I'm 37 years old. Amy's 38 years old, and, and we're resigned to the fact that we're not having kids. So we went through Catholic Charities, and we decided to adopt so we went through the whole the whole gamut. We paid the money. We we had the home visits. We made our you know we wrote our letters. Um, so we were didn't hear anything. And then we got a phone call uh, one day from the adoption agency and say we have a little baby for you. So Amy says now she's thirty eight years old. I have to tell you I'm three months pregnant. So that it, it was just a it was a blessing for us. Um, so unfortunately, through the adoption, we did not adopt because then we had three more after that. Open the floodgates open, a little open bit. Open the floodgates. But that's where uh, my wife is fantastic. She's unbelievable. She is, she's my rock in this life. But we struggled. It was ups and it was downs and strained the marriage without a doubt. Um, so we were blessed to get the news of, of Thomas coming along. And you have Thomas, Nicholas. Catherine and Mary, and now, and now there's some uh, struggles on the other end because yeah. you're juggling all these little children, and you, yeah. and you started a new job. And how do you balance all of that, Mr. Ricard? You know, I ask that question to a lot of guests. We've had a lot of successful people on the show that do a lot of different things. You have that big family. How do you yeah. balance your job? You're teaching at at Orange County Community College, and how do you balance all of that? Well, you asked me that in the interview. I remember that question, and my response was. I have a great wife. Uh, behind every great man's a great woman. Well, that's true in my case. Uh, my wife is unbelievable. She's an educator as well. She's a math teacher. She's a far better math teacher than I ever was. Um, but she's home with the family. So she, she really takes care of the home front. And she that allows me to come to work every day, stay late, get in early. So uh, that's how you juggle it with, with just a, with my wife being there for me and being supportive. You know, you, you, you've never used those children as an excuse for, for something in your life. Sometimes you've walked in and you looked a little tired and who was up, who was throwing up on you. And, <laughs> but you, when that bell rang, you yeah. were always ready and always on point and you treat the job very professionally. And, and uh, again, kudos to, to you and y your father. Tom, one of the things you'd like to share with your dad was your coaching. And, uh, again, I had an opportunity to ref referee your games and and that was a plus for you because I watched you coach your team. And in the back of my head, when I'm refereeing games and I see the way sometimes coaches act, I say to myself, would I want my child to play for that coach? 
with the way they're acting, you know. And part of my job is to help them uh, stay in line, like you tell Tom mm-hmm. Fine. And I know you had a great passion for the coaching. I do, did. Yeah. What, what do you miss most about the coaching and, and that life? I miss the, the competition. You know, you, when you go to battle with your group of guys, when you have 12 to 15 players and you go into battle together, there's a sense of camaraderie. There's a, there's a sense of uh, fraternity. Um, and we're going to get something done together. One thing I'd learned from my dad is he always thought he could win every game he played. He didn't have the most talented teams, and I certainly didn't have the most talented teams all the time. But, again, from my father, you make a plan. If you execute the plan, you can win any game. And that's what I, I, I love that part of it. I just I love the, the physicalness of the game. I love the close quarters of being in a basketball court and the fans are on top of you. And at the end of the day, when that game is over and you know your team played play as hard as they could and you coach as well as you could and you're exhausted in the locker room, win or lose, it's a great feeling. And you were also a, a standout player at Dominican College and you're tall yourself, yeah. probably 6'4", six, 6'5". Four, six, six, four, yeah. You know. What lessons now, Mr. Ricard, do you take as a player and, and now as a, uh, as a coach? What, what things do you take with you now to the classroom? Because you're coaching the, the staff and you're coaching these kids that are in your office now. You, be, you have to be prepared, that's for sure. You have to have a plan. I think having a plan is important. Um, the way that I schedule my day when I get in early, I write down anything I want to accomplish, and I even put the time next to it. So if I want to handle discipline from 7.30 to, to, to 8.15, that's when I do it. Uh, when I coached, I, my practice was down to the minute. No wasted time. Everything was to be efficient. And that's one thing that I, I bring is planning. But I also bring from coaching to, to now being in a leadership position is that you can't Worry about the things you can't control. There's going to be bumps in the road. You have to pivot. You can't stand still. You have to pivot. So we've, I've had some interactions with some teachers this year where we've had discussions, and I'm not afraid to say, you know, I didn't do that correctly. I might have made a mistake there. So I think that also helps that you have to understand your, 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 your mistakes, and you have to admit it, and you have to pivot, and you can't stand still. Keep moving. That's great advice, and uh, again, as a, to quote our former superintendent, Mr. Exantis, you know, things don't happen in a vacuum, and I've heard from a lot of people within our school walls as well as outside what a great job you're doing, uh, you know, in addition to what I'm seeing. Mr. Ricard, I mentioned in the first segment of the program about pride and, and, and all of those things, and you talked about the imitation of your dad. The second part of that, I talked about being tech savvy. And where did that, where is that technical, where'd you learn that stuff and with all your children and stuff? You're up to date on, on Google and, and the newest technologies. Where'd you learn that? And tell me about that. The, two years ago, uh, Google was fairly new to education and I just jumped into it. I was doing my program. I, I went through Stony Brook University for my administration degree and and it was an online degree and, and they challenged us to use some, some technology with the Google. So what I would do is I would just go home and I would look at YouTube and I would search the internet, and I would just figure out how to do it because no one was really using it at Minisync at that time, in, in, at least in my part of the building in the middle school. So I would just try things. So it, during my lessons, I incorporated it into the teaching. I incorporated Google Sheets. I incorporated Google Draw, um, Google Classroom. I was the first person to pilot it, but I didn't really know anything about it. Like you said in the beginning, I just jumped into it and tried to learn and it's that way with I, with Twitter also. Twitter, I use Twitter as a professional development tool, and that's kind of like how I learned about Google. 
I went on Twitter and I would just follow people who were tech experts and I would just watch what they did and then I would try to do it. And it was trial by error. And one of the first things, I think it was the first day on the job, you started a Twitter page uh, for us as principals and that Twitter handle is, I'm looking it up again, it's P, at PJHS underscore principals. And your own personal uh, Twitter, Mr. Ricard, for those listening that want to follow you out there? At Tom underscore Ricard. And, and you put a lot of uh, great things on there, and you know, you, you've made us better. One of the things uh, I've learned from my mentors about hiring is hire people that are better than you and that are going to make you better. And you, you've certainly done that. Uh, and just to mention those things as a couple examples. Right. Mr. Ricard, most people think Twitter, you know, it's like social media, Facebook. They're talking about what they have for lunch and, and that kind of stuff. But, again, one of the things you showed me is using Twitter as a resource for motivation and self-improvement and, and kind of like uh, professional development through Twitter. Tell me about that and, and, and tell the listeners, uh, how could you use Twitter as professional development? Twitter is, is an unbelievable resource that's out there. And the new generation that we're in, like you said in the beginning, you have, you have to know it. Uh, so many of the young and up-and-coming leaders, principals, superintendents are on Twitter. And they share Tons of stuff. So um, as teachers, as coaches, that's what we do. We share, we take from one another, and that's, and that's what Twitter is. Twitter is a place you can go and you can get ideas, get innovation. Daily lesson planning is on Twitter. Anything you want to find out about Google is on Twitter. Anything about leadership. So you have to embrace Twitter. You can't be afraid of Twitter. Now, I don't use Twitter to post, like you said, what, I, what I've got shop right. I only use it for professional development, and I think that you should embrace it. It's there. You might as well use it. And we, we try to post some great things about our students and our school and uh, as well as in our personal lives on our own Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at AndrewMorata21 to get some information about the show. Um, but we're up against our, our, our next break. Uh, we're going to invite Mr. Ricard to stay on. Our next segment is a, a, an email in uh, portion of the show. You can email in the show, andrew at neversinkmediagroup.com. This is Education, Leadership, and Beyond, Surviving and Thriving, with my guest this morning, Tom Ricard. Welcome back, everybody. This is Education, Leadership, and Beyond, Surviving and Thriving. My name is Andrew Murata. We are on Country 107.7 WDLC, 106.9 WYNY, and Wall Radio. Before we get back to our guest, Mr. Tom Ricard, I did want to do a quick recap of the opening segment of the show. We talked about PRIDE, and it's an acronym. If you're just tuning in now, you missed the first part, certainly you can go back on uh, the app, Country 107.7, and listen on demand. This is show number eight with Tom Ricard. 
Uh, we talked about pride, positive mental attitude for P. R, repetition, repeat, repeat, repeat. And we talked about the book Outliers and the concept of 10,000 hours with Malcolm Gladwell. I, for imitation, imitate successful people and their traits. And certainly had a chance to talk about Coach Paul Ricard today, uh, Tom's father. D, for determination, and E, for enthusiasm. And uh, we'll welcome back in Tom Ricard to uh, the program. Mr. Ricard, the last segment uh, is a, is a write-in portion. But before we get to that question, I know you wanted to comment one more thing about Twitter. Uh, we talked off air a little bit. Go ahead. What do you want to say about that? Twitter is not only p- uh, professional development for teachers, but Twitter also can be used to celebrate the successes of your school district. And that's important to get the community involved. And I learned, I, I read in a book, I learned this, that if you don't tell your story of your school, someone else is going to tell that story. So you'd rather tell your own story and tell the public and the community what all the great things happening instead of someone else trying to fill the gaps. And I really appreciate you bringing that to the table. We we did get 100 followers this year, and certainly we want to continue to grow that. So you can follow us as uh, Port Jervis Principals. Tom, repeat that underscore again. It's at PJHS underscore principals. And uh, you can also follow Tom Ricard at Tom underscore Ricard. And uh, you can follow me on the show here at Andrew Murata 21 Tom, the write-in question today uh, is specifically for you with your history as a college basketball coach. You know, we've had a lot of athletes, whether they're in our school or, or outside our school, coaching at camps and, and different people you and I both have been in touch with. And a, a question we get asked often, how can my kid get to the college level? So the question is for you, what advice would you have for our listeners that might have an athlete and even if it's not basketball, maybe it's uh, lacrosse, maybe it's soccer. What advice would you give to parents to best prepare them to get their kids to, to college? The first piece of advice is listen to the coach. The coach most of the time has more experience in putting in placing kids in college, athletes in college, so listen to the coach. Second thing is be a realist. What level can your son or daughter play at? Um, can Are they a Division One, Two, or Three athlete? Now, Sometimes it's, the misconception is if you're not a Division One athlete, you're not a good athlete. That is totally untrue. There, to be a Division Three, we'll use basketball in the sense of to be a Division Three basketball player, you have to be very good. So please don't think that, oh, well, you know, I'm going to go play at a Division Three school. That's not good enough. No, it's very good, and you would be lucky if you could get that opportunity. So talk to the coach. Be a realist. Make sure you know what level you can play at. And a couple things that sometimes overlooked, get your FAFSA done, your financial aid forms. Get those done early. Make sure you're cleared by the clearinghouse. But besides all the hard work, you have to remember there are millions of kids out there looking for the same opportunity. So uh, it's it's not easy to play in college. If you don't play in college, it's not a bad thing. But you have to make sure that you're a realist and you work your tail off every single day. Another quick question, Mr. Carr. We just have uh, just about a minute left. You know, in your role as assistant principal now, you do see kids, unfortunately, getting in trouble, and you, and you deal with that. And your role as college coach, you saw kids uh, maybe at the junior college level, you know, making mistakes. How important it is is it for that that young person to to stay on the right side of the line and, and do the right thing? And coaches looking for that. The luckiest person a kid a student could have in their life is someone who has high expectations. I think at Port George we have very high expectations for our athletes, and I think that's important. So the kid has, so the students have to rise to those expectations. But 
the problem, you know, one of the problems is as coaches now look at social media and sometimes potential athletes lose the opportunity because they're on social media, they're on Facebook, they're on Twitter, and they're, and they're doing inappropriate things on those uh, sites, and then they're losing the opportunity. So it's very important to stay focused, realize that you might have this opportunity, and, and, and don't throw it away. And, and as a coach and as an assistant principal, we have to have short memories. You can't. You have to give second chances. I'm a firm believer in second chances. You cannot have such a hard line and not be flexible as a coach or even an AP. You have to give second chances. You don't give third and fourth chances, but you have to give a second chance. Mr. Carr, we're going to end on that note. You did a great job today on the program, and and we really appreciate uh, you coming on. I mentioned today's quote for the show, and I do want to uh, repeat that ending, ending this. Nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm, and that was written by Ralph Waldo Emerson. That concludes today's show. This was Education, Leadership, and Beyond with Andrew Morata and my guest, Tom Ricard. We are on Country 107.7 WDLC, 106.9 WYNY, and Wall Radio. Tune in next week where my guest will be educator and basketball referee Tim Ebersol. Have a great day, everyone. Go out and change the world for the better.